Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? If you're new uh, and I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, uh, I want to extend a welcome to you. My name is Chris, uh, one of the pastors, elders, uh, leaders here. We are in the, well, no, actually, we're at the end of a series uh, called Revive Us Again. If you're new, normally what we like to do is teach through books of the Bible verse by verse. Uh, we're in a series on the Gospel of Matthew. We're taking a little break uh, from that to go through a series we're calling Revive Us Again. And really, this is kind of like, uh, it's sort of almost like a family chat kind of series where we're uh, just taking stock of where the Spirit of God has us and where He uh, wants to take us. A lot of the things that we're talking about aren't necessarily things that are new, but in a lot of ways, the elders and uh, leaders felt like there's probably just a greater theme across our whole church family uh, that is happening right now where we're really just sensing the need to shepherd the hearts of people. Uh, we have been for seven and a half years uh, on mission with great degrees of intentionality and great degrees of fervency, and we preach about it, we yell about it, uh, we try and make it happen, and that's good. We're not stopping that. We still want to reach people that don't know Jesus. Uh, but what we really firmly believe uh, is that we first need the gospel to change us. I mean, that's what Cam was ultimately talking about this morning, is that the gospel is changing him. And it's when we're changed that we start to change uh, our city. And so that's what this series is about. Now, last week, uh, how many of you were here last Sunday? Last Sunday, okay, a good portion of you, that's great. So last Sunday, we, uh, we talked about the idea of fasting and praying. We had a fasting and prayer, a day of fasting and a night of prayer together as a church family. It was great. Uh, the big idea last week was that we need to starve the flesh in order to feed the spirit. And then we, as a church family, encouraged uh, everyone to fast. And I know many of you did fast. Some of you had to fast the day before, the day after. Uh, some of you weren't able to make the prayer meeting. But we had a great time at the church office. Uh, a bunch of us got together. We prayed, we worshiped. It was uh, fantastic. Encourage you to mark your calendars because this is going to become a rhythm for us. So uh, Tuesday, November 20th, we're going to be doing uh, this again and just encourage you to be there. But I wanted to take just a quick second to follow up last Sunday. And for some of you, this is going to seem, um, well, let me just say this. It's probably more about me than it is about you. Uh, so just bear with me for a second, okay? Uh, so last Sunday, and I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I woke up and I wasn't having a particularly awesome day. Does anyone resonate or relate to that? Just me? Two of you. Okay, good. Okay, more. Good. Now you're, you're being honest. That's good. Um, yeah, I wasn't having a particularly awesome day, and I, I couldn't really put my finger on why that was. I was just kind of dis, disoriented. There was just some stuff going on in my heart that wasn't awesome, and, and I could literally feel it as I was in here. I could feel it as we were singing together. I could even feel it as uh, I was up here teaching and preaching. There's lots of things that happen when you're preaching. Uh, you're certainly thinking about the things you're saying, but there's lots of things happening in your heart. There's obviously lots of things happening in the room, and there's just a ton of stuff going on. But I could feel this sense as I was preaching, ironically enough, about starving the flesh and feeding the spirit. I could feel my flesh just bubbling up like this. There's a difference between uh, righteous anger and unrighteous anger, right? Holy discontentedness and unholy discontentedness. And what I was feeling bubbling up in me was what I would describe as unholy discontentedness. And the whole time I was preaching, I could feel it. I could, I'm talking to you, and I'd be like, oh, that's not a good thought. Push that down. Holy Spirit, change me. And that was going really well for most of the morning. Until, about the, until there was about 10 minutes left in, uh, in the teaching time. And don't go back and listen, because it's, yeah, just you'd be like, oh, that's what he's talking about. Something happened. I don't know how to describe it, and I'm not trying to play a blame shift game here. I take full responsibility for it. But I started to have an anger 
And some of you who've known me for a while will go, yeah, we've heard that before. And that's true. I would say that has definitely been a part of my life, uh, just as a father, husband, you know, person. Uh, but even, uh, you know, in my ministry and my teaching and preaching and leadership in the church, that I have like worked really, really hard uh, to bring into submission to the Holy Spirit and put to death. Uh, but it flares itself up every once in a while. By God's grace, I've seen a lot of victory, but I had a moment of weakness. And so I felt like a lot of the things that I said were actually right and true. But they were said with a tone and a heart that was unloving. And so for that, I apologize. I put the onus on you. I put the burden on you instead of us as leaders taking uh, the burden, the responsibility for perhaps not discipling the church well in a particular area. And I feel like I, I heard it. I heard it. I knew it before I even got down to my, uh, before I got back to my chair here to sit down and, and respond. I, I just knew this is what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Chris, you've been called to shepherd the flock of God. You're one of the elders here. You've been given the privilege of teaching and preaching the Bible. And instead of loving the sheep, you beat them. That was a really, really, really hard thing for me to hear from the Holy Spirit. I heard it from a few other people because we do reviews and critique the sermons and people are not afraid to confront me and ask me questions. And that came up uh, many times. And I would say I probably had 24 horrible, well, let's, let's describe it like this, gloriously horrible hours. Horrible because I felt like a schmo but glorious because I got to experience the grace of Jesus in the midst of feeling like a schmo, where he said, Chris, this doesn't define you. This isn't your identity. You are a loved son. Yes, you screwed up. Let the cross be enough. You're going to do it again. So I just ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you forgive me. I have to put up with you. You have to put up with me. That's what it means to be a family. I'm not trying to make light of it. Thank you, Greg. Well, that's the Chris translation, Dave. That's the Chris translation, just to be clear. Good. Thanks for calling me out on that. See, we're all about critique and review here. We're going to start doing it in real time. So anyway, let's, let's jump in. I don't want to make this all about me. That's enough. Okay, let's jump in. A big idea of where we're going, where we have been going in this series, is that God's heart for his church always has been, always will be, gospel saturation, right? We've tried to beat this theme of gospel saturation into our heads and into our hearts. Here's how we define gospel saturation. This definition should be on the screen. It says that every day, every man, woman, and child would have a daily encounter with Jesus and his church through word and deed, right? That God's heart is not to fill buildings. It's not to fill movie theaters. It's to fill cities with his people living out his mission. Again, this is the theme, the meta-theme, the meta-narrative throughout all of Scripture. One verse that we tend to go to uh, to paint a, a picture for us from God's story of what gospel saturation looks like is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. Again, you should <laughs> try and memorize this, but it says this in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, "...for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord." as the waters cover the sea. So how do the waters cover the sea completely? How does God desire for the knowledge of his glory to cover the earth entirely? This is saturation, like a sponge completely full of water, an earth, a world, a planet, God's people completely immersed in his glory. 
which means the goal of the church should never be come to our thing and hear us talk. It should be, how do we go to people and share the gospel with them? How do we live out Jesus's mission? We're a go and tell people. That's the very essence of who God is and what he's done. We see that in the heart of the gospel. We see that in a God who is not deistic, far away, but rather involved, right? He's present. He comes in the flesh. He dwells among us, John says in John chapter one, talking about Jesus. But here's what we said We've nailed that at West Village. We've preached that. We've lived that. We model that. We're organized to facilitate that. But here's the problem. Sometimes we hear that and we're go, we think to ourselves, where do I fit? Because that's big. That's grand. I don't know. What does it actually look like in real time for me to live this out? Like, how do I do this, Chris? I want this because the Spirit of God's in me and he's speaking his truth into my heart. So I want what he wants but I don't know how to do it. And so we've been showing this kind of chart, uh, graphic, I don't know what to call it, wheel, I guess, to talk about the way that the Spirit of God works in us to produce gospel saturation in the world. Because ultimately here, you need to understand this, right? Gospel saturation, before it can happen in our city, it's going to happen in our church, right? We are not going to saturate the city with the gospel if our church is not saturated with the gospel. But like we say around here all the time, we don't go to church. We are the church. We're not at church. We're at the gathering of the church because the church is people. So in order for the church to be saturated with the gospel, so the city can be saturated with the gospel, what has to happen? You and me individually at a heart level have to be saturated with the gospel. In other words, the gospel has to get into here and do his dirty work of cleaning up our brokenness, right? Of regenerating us, restoring us, restoring our past, restoring our brokenness, which is going to make up a lot of what we talk about this morning. Reforming us, meaning preparing us as a vessel to receive the Holy Spirit where we actually long for, we desire not just to go to heaven when we die, but we actually long for the things of God. We long for the Spirit to work in us. We long for the fruits of the Spirit to be evident. We walk off the stage after we preach our proverbial sermon where our proverbial flesh got in the way, and it, it just, it's icky, right? Before, a few years ago, this is what I would have said walking off the stage. Oh, I showed them. Ugly ugly, but the Spirit's been changing me. That's what he wants to do in you. And then when that starts to happen, not just in uh, me or the elders or a couple of community group leaders, but when it starts to happen to us as a group, then what can start to take place is what we call corporate renewal, where we start to see the Spirit do amazing things among us. And then revival takes place. And that's when we show up here on a Sunday and it's like the presence of God is so thick. Like, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that a non-believer comes in here and he goes, man, I don't believe some of the wacky nut bar stuff you guys are talking about, but I cannot get away from the fact it is undeniable that God was among you because he's doing something that is unique, intangible. It's not just hot bands, funny preachers. It's, there's a thickness to the presence of of God in this place that supersedes cool websites, gospel lingo, hip church plants. It's when the spirit of God, the work that he does accelerates and what would normally take 20 years happens in 20 minutes. And then what happens, and this is beautiful friends. And I, I, I mean, I don't know, this isn't, I don't have a verse for this chart. Like I've said every week that I've showed it, I stole this from a, a pastor friend of mine, but it's when the Spirit of God does that among us that he can saturate our city because he starts to work through us. 
And I think what we've done around here, just full confession, and I'm not going to put this on you, I will bear the weight of responsibility as one of the overseers of the church, is we have talked a lot about what can go on out there and sent people out on mission without first saying, has the gospel saturated you? We haven't given you the tools. We haven't even had the language to say you need to be saturated. That's how the Spirit works. That's what He wants to do. That's what this whole series has been about. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of end this series. And, you know, I'd like to say I had this all planned out nice and neat and tidy, but honestly, from week to week, I've just been going like, okay, I think this is what God wants us to talk about. Bounced it off people, got feedback. And the question I want to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Before we can be a Spirit-led people, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to know what it actually means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 5. We are going to kind of hang our thoughts on a few verses in Ephesians 5. If you have the Bible on your phone, uh, you can go there. We have Bibles over here on the table that are our gift to you. We're going to read three verses this morning. This uh, letter, Ephesians, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted and he was discipling. And really, this portion of his letter is where he's trying to explain to the church, how, what does it look like? What does it mean to walk in maturity, right? To grow up from being like an, an angsty teenager into someone who can walk in maturity of the faith, which is really a lot of what we've been talking about in this series. What does it mean to be a mature follower of Jesus who's completely immersed in the gospel? The gospel's changing us, transforming us, and then working through us. And here's what he says, talking about the Holy Spirit, picking up in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. Pay attention, right? We talked about that week one. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Do not live not as unwise, but as wise. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, there's two ways to live. There's a wise way and there's an unwise way. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will do. Lord's will is, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So ultimately here, what the Apostle Paul says is we have two choices. We have two ways in which we can live. There's a, the unwise person who's not making the most of every opportunity because they don't understand what the Lord's will is. And because they don't understand what the Lord's will is, they get drunk on wine, which then in turn leads to debauchery. Now I'm going to unpack all that in just a second, but that's, that's the, the definition of what the unwise life is according to the Apostle Paul. But he goes on and he says there's a wise person. And the wise person is the one who does make uh, the most of every opportunity because they do understand what the Lord's will is. Why? And get this, if you're a Bible underliner, circler, highlighter, whatever you got going on, because they are filled with the Spirit. And that phrase right there is the linchpin to understanding what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And that is the linchpin of what we are going to talk about this morning. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Now we're going to try as best I can to answer three questions this morning. The first question is who, not what, but who is the Holy Spirit? 
The second question is, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And then the third question is, how do you remain in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Who, not what is the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And how do you remain in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? And the whole way through, what I'm going to do is keep connecting this back to this bigger picture that we've been talking about with regards to gospel saturation. So let's take the first question first. Who, not what, is the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this question for a couple of reasons. One, because I don't have a lot of time. This is a, this is a big topic. We could do like weeks unending uh, of a series on this, uh, the answer to this question. The other reason, though, is because we've talked about this quite a bit. If you go back and listen to other sermons we've taught or retreats or different things we've done over the years, we talked about this a lot. But I, but I want to stop and pause here because I want to acknowledge a couple of things. One, I recognize in a church this size, there's a lot of different theological perspectives. There's people, I met people here this morning who are coming from different churches, have different understandings of what the Holy Spirit is. So I want to create a baseline understanding of how we talk about the Holy Spirit here at West Village. But I also recognize that there's a lot of people here that are very new to the faith, right? We've seen a lot of people meet Jesus here in the last couple of years. There's a lot of people here that are not yet followers of Jesus. And when you say the word Holy Spirit, crazy stuff comes into their mind right? And for good reason. You go home, make a plate of nachos, YouTube Holy Spirit churches, and you're going to have a fun afternoon on your hands, right? You're going to feel guilty because you're going to be like this. It's like looking at a car accident. You feel like, I probably shouldn't be watching this, but I'm going to. There's some, yeah, we'll just stop there. So what I want to do briefly is just set the context of who the Holy Spirit is. So this is going to be rapid fire round, okay? I'm just going to hit this quick I want to give us three things in response to that question. The first thing is this. Who is the Holy Spirit? The first one, the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible teaches this in many places. Acts 5, 1 Corinthians 12, Matthew 28, Genesis 1 and 2, Hebrews 9. They all teach that the Holy Spirit is God. In other words, Christians believe because the Bible teaches that God is triune in nature, meaning we have one God who has revealed himself in three eternally existing and completely equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what this means is the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and is equal with Jesus. He is God. That's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is God. The second thing is this. I know there's like, what? Keep going. I wish I could. I don't have time. The second thing, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, uses personal pronouns. It does not describe the Bible, or it does not describe the Holy Spirit, rather, as an it or as a force. The Jehovah's Witnesses speak about the Holy Spirit like this. They are wrong. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as a person. The God of the Bible is a personal God. He isn't uh, personal in the same sense that we are persons, but... He is a person in the sense that he interacts with us. He relates to us. He loves us. He experiences feelings. And that's because he is a person. And the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. We see this manifested ultimately in Jesus, who did indeed take on full personhood. He took on flesh. The reality here is God is not like an absentee landlord, right? He's not just, you know, uh, off somewhere and calls on the first of the month to make sure you have the rent check. But he's actually involved. He's actually invested in our lives. In other words, just again, not to go too far down this rabbit trail, but this is probably a word that some of you need to hear. He cares about you. That should blow some of your minds this morning. There's a God who made you knows you intimately, everything about you, all your dirty laundry knows you and loves you. 
That right there, we should like stop, call the band up, take communion, sing, and go home changed people. Powerful. That's the second thing. First thing, the Holy Spirit is God. The second thing, the Holy Spirit is a person. The third thing, the Holy Spirit is involved in our life. Throughout the scriptures, we get a long, long list of activities that the Holy Spirit does. I think these are going to be on the screen. I'm not sure. It's a long list. I'm just going to pound them out. You have to follow along. Take a picture if you, if you like the list. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. He's active. He was active in creation. He wrote the Bible. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He calls us into ministry. He equips us for ministry. He's the channel of divine revelation. He speaks to us about God's love. He empowers us. He fills us. He's our guarantee of Christ's love. He seals our salvation. He illuminates our hearts and minds. He guards biblical doctrine. He advocates for us. He intercedes for us. He prays for us. He teaches us. He produces fruit through us. He produces godly character in us. He sanctifies us. He regenerates us. He restrains us. He convicts us. He changes us. I'm preaching a list here. He keeps us in the hand of the Father until the great day of salvation. He selects overseers for the church. He's the source of fellowship, power, unity, and spiritual gifts in the church. Wow. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. I'm preaching a list. <laughs> that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And that's not even everything. That's just the stuff I could come up with sitting at my office sipping a coffee. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this is who the Holy Spirit is, and this is what the Holy Spirit does. So you can see then why, according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, the Holy Spirit is such a big deal. Why, in order to live the Christian life, we need to have some sense, some understanding of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that is a great segue into question two. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Go back to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 15. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, verse 15. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. In other words, there's two ways to live. And then look at what he says, verse 16 and 17 making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. In other words, life is short, right? You have six seconds. I say all the time, you have six seconds on this planet. You don't want to waste them. You don't want to spend your six seconds like, you know, surfing Netflix, binge watching Netflix, goofing off on your phone, killing it at Candy Crush, right? Like that's ridiculous. I was Proud of myself because the little thing on my phone that I keep confessing every week, it came down, it was under two, uh, what was it, Mark? Two hours and 48 minutes. I was super proud until I realized that I do a 12-hour fast, which means that's like almost three hours out of 12, which means 25% of my day is spent on my phone. That's stupid, moronic, and an absolute waste of time. I'm wasting my life. I'm wasting it. And the Apostle Paul says that's an unwise way to live. And so what this should do is, is cause us to go, well, then what is the wise way? If that's a waste of life, which I think we would all confess, like we're not going to get to heaven and be super pumped or get to the end of our lives and be super pumped about, you know, how many episodes or series of a particular show on Netflix we rattle off. We're not going to be like, man, I accomplished a lot. This is great, right? You're not going to get to the end of your life and go, wow, look at the square footage. Wow, look at the zeros. Wow, look at the car. No, it's all a waste. It's, it's foolish, that's what, I mean, these are Jesus's words, right? Not mine, okay? I'm not going to apologize for that. You, you can take that up uh, with him. You're like, you're being harsh again. Don't be hard. Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible says now. It's a way, so the question this should drive then is, okay, I don't want to waste my life. 
I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste. I don't want to be unwise. I, I, I don't want to do that. So what do I do? Well, the apostle Paul says, if you don't want to waste your life, then check this out. It's really simple. It's really, really simple. Yet the lesson you will learn for the rest of your life, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't miss this. I want to connect this to everything we've been talking about in this series. What Paul is talking about here, this wise life, this spirit-filled life that he's talking about is actually gospel saturation. He's saying, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you will submit your life to the Holy Spirit, if you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, it'll change you, transform you. And check this out, you will live differently because of it. You will start to live with gospel intentionality, right? We say, live a life that demands a gospel explanation and you will get to explain the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. As you allow the Spirit of God to fill you, it changes you, it transforms you. And what Paul is actually doing for us, it's awesome and super helpful. He's answering the question, how do we saturate the city with the gospel? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So then the question is being begged here, right? Do we want to saturate the city? I know I want that. I know we preach about it. I know we talk about it. It's on the website. We memorize the stuff. We say the verses. We put it on the mugs. We give you the magnets, whatever we do. But like Cam was talking about, there's a difference between knowing something and like knowing something. I can know about my wife or I can know her. Do I want it? Like, do you want your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus to know him? Do you want it? Do you want the person you share a cubicle with to know Jesus? Do you want the person you sit next to in the classroom to know Jesus? Do you want your roommate, your carpool companion, the person you rub shoulders with at the bus stop every day, the person you see at the gym, whoever, wherever, to know Jesus? Then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. How? Look at what Paul says, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be full, be filled rather with the Spirit. So the key to understanding what Paul is talking about when he says be filled with the Spirit is understanding the first part of what Paul says here in verse 18. And let me just be clear about something. I'm not going to go down this rabbit trail today, but this verse has very little to do with alcohol. Paul is using the analogy of alcohol to make a bigger point, an illustrative point. Here's what Paul's saying. When you are drunk, you are under the influence of alcohol. Something has control over you. You've submitted yourself to something. And the result of that, look at what he says, when you are drunk on wine, it leads to debauchery. Now, I know the word debauchery doesn't get a lot of play these days, right? You hear the word debauchery, you think hip-hop video meets frat party on spring break, right? That's where you go with it. And that is one expression of debauchery to be sure. But that's not the only expression of debauchery. The word literally means without restraint, without parameters, without boundaries. So, so here's what Paul's saying. When you're drunk on wine, it leads to debauchery. You, you act ridiculous. You act like a fool. And we know this is true, right? We know this. You go to a party 
and, and stuff is flowing, the social lubricants, right? Everyone's inhibitions get lowered, and all of a sudden it gets crazy, right? You got Greg with the lampshade on his head, and he's partying it up on the table, right? Sorry, that's going to be on the podcast, Greg. You can have some explaining to do, um, right? You got, like, the girl who's, like, wants to call her ex-boyfriend. You want to call him, and you're like, don't call him, right? That's why we have rules, like, don't call your ex-boyfriend after you've had too much to drink. Like, nothing good is going to happen if you do this. You got the guys who are like, I think we could jump from there to there. It's like, no, you can't do that, right? What's happening? You're under the influence and it's leading to a life without restraint. But don't miss Paul's point here because it's not just about don't be drunk on wine, although that's probably not a bad idea. He's saying anything that you submit your life to, that you give influence to in your life, is going to lead to some form of life without restraint. You allow it to have control over you. You start to live a life without parameters and without boundaries. And what Paul is saying here is, do not let anything have influence over your life to the degree that it has control over you. You're like, okay, I'm good with that. And he says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be controlled by the Spirit. So I want to show you how this works by way of a diagram. It's a diagram we use a lot uh, around West Village. Community group leaders have definitely seen it. Uh, people in the Gospel Leader Residency have definitely seen it. We call it, seen it, we call it the three-tree diagram. I stole this from a friend of mine, Tim Gray, who many of you know, he's a pastor in Missouri. My wife drew this for me, okay? I was just like, honey, I tried and it was ugly. Can you make it pretty? She's like, I can try. And this is what she did. So thank you very much, Kelly. You'll notice on the right-hand side, there's a thing called the spirit meter. Um, we'll, just, we'll just leave that for now. Let me just explain what's happening here in this diagram, okay? This diagram is a picture of Ephesians 5. This is really a picture of just how the gospel works in our lives, and I'm just going to apply Ephesians 5 to this diagram. Again, we don't normally do this kind of stuff. This is more like equipping and teaching than it is preaching. So if you're new, normally we just read a couple verses, yell at you, but this morning we're going to actually try and give you some handles for how the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life. So what you can see here going left to right, your left to right, is we have three trees, okay? We have this first tree over here, which is what we call the irreligious tree. And you look at this tree and you can see that it's dead, right? There's no life on the tree whatsoever. This is like, if I could equate this to people, every single tree represents a person. This is the kind of person who is bad and they know they're bad, right? This is like somebody who's, I don't know, like just dealing drugs, they know they're hooking people on it. They just don't care at all. Like they have no restraint for evil. They're not even trying to impress anyone. Now notice, follow the root systems of the tree. The root system of that tree goes back to the unwise person who is controlled or under the influence of sin and the curse, right? That's the definition of the unwise person, the person who is drunk on wine that leads to debauchery or something, something as a result of the curse has control over them. Now there's another tree, and this tree should scare the snot out of us. This is the religious tree. Now notice something about this tree. It is dead, just like the irreligious tree, but there's something there. There's a little bit of fruit on the end of the tree. This is what we call at West Village fruit stapling. Right? You're a dead tree, and you just take some fruit, and you staple it on. So this is the guy who's gone to church his whole life. Right? He's in his mid-40s, early 50s. The kids have now moved all out of the house. He's been an elder in the church. He gives, he serves, he does 
all the churchy things that he's supposed to do, and his kids move out, and he decides it's time to find a new wife. I'm going to trade her in for a younger model. Right? Just like that. Well, what is that? How, how do you go from being an elder in a church to that, faking it? Not, listen, don't miss this, because this is out of the three trees, I mean, it's Sunday morning, 10 a.m., you got up early, got your kids dressed, you made it here, okay? So there's a good chance you're not the irreligious tree unless this is part of your community service time, okay? So, and if you are, praise God, you're here, we love you. Most likely, this is where we are going to wrestle. We haven't done the hard, deep work of pulling out all the brokenness in our lives. We know it's there. We can feel it. And we're just stapling on fruit, stuffing it down, hoping that nobody will find out. Notice something about this tree. Its root system is the same. It's controlled by sin and the curse. And then Lastly, there is the last tree, which this morning we're calling the spirit-filled tree. This is the wise person who's controlled by the spirit and who's living under the waterfall of grace. Now, I want you to know something here. That your one free will act is to decide what you are going to allow to control you you get to decide if you will walk under the waterfall of grace. And let me just be clear about something because some of you are maybe theologically nitpicky here. What I'm not talking about is salvation. This is not what we're talking about. The Spirit of God saves people. And sometimes in God's grace, He actually moves the waterfall to where we're standing. That's His prerogative. But we have a choice to make whether we will allow things from our past, brokenness, sin, rebellion, whatever it is, have control over us or whether we will allow the Spirit of God to have control over us. We get to decide if we will step under the waterfall of grace. And when we step under the waterfall of grace, when we allow, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Spirit of God pours out the love of the Father and the grace of the Son into the heart. That's the waterfall of grace. That's how the Spirit fills you. He fills you with the reality, not the knowledge, but the, like this experiential reality, this taste and see that the Lord is good, as the psalmist says, reality, that God's love is better. It's better than anything else. It's better than my sin. It's better than my brokenness. It's better than whatever else I'm letting have authority and control in my life. When you, when you sit in that place, here's what it does. It produces good fruit. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So he, just an interesting discipleship question to ask yourself, to ask in your community group, to ask your spouse, although it's, uh, to ask in your DNA group, is what you are experiencing right now or is what I'm feeling right now the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it something else? And listen to me, don't miss this. Don't miss this. If it's something else, it's a different spirit. That's how I knew last Sunday that something else was going on. Even though the words maybe were right, 
I knew what was going on in my heart. That's not the Spirit of God. That's a different spirit. I'm controlled by something else right now. And that's not an excuse. It's my job in that moment to decide to choose to stand under the waterfall of grace and submit myself to that. So let's ask some questions. Family, let me ask this a different way. And I like, <laughs> like, I so desperately want you to engage with this. You have no idea. Like I just sat in Starbucks this morning, just laboring for you. Like I want you to really sincerely think about this. What has control over you? What has influence over you? And listen, I'm not talking about activity. I'm not talking about behavior. Right? I'm not talking about your phone or Netflix. I'm talking about beneath that. See, the problem that an alcoholic has is not that the alcoholic drinks too much alcohol, although that is indeed a problem. The problem that an alcoholic has is that he has un or she has unresolved issues in the heart. And all alcohol is is a way of medicating the brokenness. So I'm not asking you to take stock of your life and you know ask some cursory questions about where you may be wasting time or should you turn your phone off at 7 p.m. I'm saying, like, we got to go deeper. We got to do the deep, hard work of allowing the Spirit of God to heal us. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is actually good news. It's like Pepto-Bismol good news, right? Like, it tastes awful, but it's healing me. God loves you enough to want to heal you. He doesn't want to just use you for his mission. He wants to heal you. He wants to take whatever the thing is that is corrupting your soul and bankrupting your heart and dig it out and clean it. Make you new. So what is controlling you? Will you walk under the waterfall of grace? And don't miss this. To walk under the waterfall of grace is to actually walk away from some things. There's a bunch of stuff that if you're like me, and I could just list them off right now because all good preachers are preaching this stuff to themselves before they come up here, and so I've had to deal with a lot of this, but there's a lot of stuff we are just holding on to so tightly. 
broken relationships with our fathers, disappointment from our children, abuse, unforgiveness, sins that have been done to us, sins that we've done to others, guilt, shame. These are powerful things that we are allowing to have control over us. Pride, and it's manifesting itself with bad fruit. You might fake it. You can fake it for a while. But if the root system is being fueled by sin and the curse and brokenness and death, eventually that is the fruit that the tree will bear. In the invitation of the Apostle Paul, the invitation of Jesus, my desperate plea for all of us is to come under the waterfall of grace. So what has control over you? Third question, I'll invite the band to come up as I wind down here. The third question I said that we were going to answer is, how do you remain in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Enter in, you can go back to that three-tree diagram for me, Ian, the spirit meter, okay? This is about as cheesy as I get, I promise you, the spirit meter, my goodness. So over here, we have a spirit meter. Now, what I want you to imagine for a second is this spirit meter represents the totality of who you are, the wholeness of your person. And I want you to ask the question, how full am I of the Holy Spirit? Now, remember the trees, right? Like you could be fruit stapling right now. So not like how pious are you, not how many Bible verses do you know, but how full of the Holy Spirit am I? And, and again, Prophet Jeremiah says this, this isn't my words, these are his. The human heart is deceitful above all things. So there's a good chance you're going to lie to yourself. So probably knock, like, you know, if you give yourself a 20, it's probably like a two, Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there's a sense in which that's true. Don't deceive yourself here. Where are you on the spirit meter? Now check this out. This is is where I need you to follow me here for a second. The meter, once it is filled with the spirit, is still the totality of who you are. So so what I mean by this is imagine the spirit meter is a glass of water and you're going to mix a couple of different uh, liquids in this. And let's say the Holy Spirit is orange juice. So you're going to, let's say you're 20, you pour 20 Uh, whatever's of orange juice in there, there's still 80 empty. Well, guess what? It gets full. So you are being filled with something. If you're filled to 20 with the Holy Spirit, then the rest, the other 80, is sin and curse. It's brokenness. It's undealt with past. So so how do we remain in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? How do we do this? How how do we get that other 80 out? Listen, again, this is where it's important that we understand a few things. It's not with a big band. Singing the song you like and the tears flowing and you're driving in traffic and you can't see because they played your song at the right time. I mean, that's a way that the Spirit works. But ultimately... It's really simple, but it's the most difficult thing you will ever do. It's your one free will act, repentance. It's your choice to live under the waterfall of grace. The key to the fullness of the Spirit is repentance of the past. In other words, to root up all of the brokenness and deal with the junk And it is terrible, but freeing. 
So I'm going to get really practical this morning. Every week in this series, I've just gotten super practical, more practical than we normally are. But I'm going to be super practical this morning. And here's my ask for you this morning. It's to repent. It's to repent. How do you do it? It's on the screen. You see it. The first one is this. The first thing is confess out loud what has control over you. Something happens when you name your sin, when you say it out loud. You see, when you keep it in the darkness and you hide it, it has this tendency to grow. And you just end up working harder and harder to staple on more and more fruit. Meanwhile, this growing thing over here is continuing to fester. And that's the environment in which your brokenness continues to have control over you. Here's how it loses all authority, by shining sunlight on it. The sunlight of the gospel. And when you name it, when you speak it out loud, not in some weird metaphysical sense, but, but uh, John talks about this in 1 John. Confess your sins unto one another and you will be forgiven. You will be healed. There's no weird spiritual dimension thing happening here, but it loses its grip on your heart when you say it out loud and bring it in submission to the gospel. And so as I've already said, maybe it was a dad who didn't love you well, a mother who abandoned you, a man who abused you, a child who rejected you, a friend who betrayed you. But if you're not willing to confess it aloud, it will continue to have authority. So tell Jesus. Just tell him. I don't want this to have authority over me anymore. And the second thing is this. Ask the Spirit to take out the junk and fill your heart with the Father's love. To root out the brokenness and replace it with the love of the Father. Ask him to pour it into your heart. That's it. That's it. Repentance. Confess it out loud and replace the brokenness with the love of the Father. And then do it again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. And the next hour. And the next hour. And moment by moment, you will be changed to become more like Jesus as the gospel saturates you. Let me invite us to respond. Uh, if you're Carrie, Andrew, Ken, Kelly, uh, Matt, if you're available, if you guys want to just come up to the front here really quickly. Yep, come right up. Don't be shy. I've asked these guys, yeah, just stand here, look at them, don't look at me. I know what you look like. I, I have just wanted to create some space this morning for us. And again, we don't do this all the time, but we just sense that the Spirit of God wants to do something among us. And so I've just asked these guys if they would be available to pray with people. There are people here who, who, who need to do business. And sometimes we don't have the vocab, we don't have the language, we don't have the ability to do this on our own. Sometimes all we can say is, I need help. I don't know what that man at the front was talking about, but whatever he was saying, it made sense to me and I need to respond to it. And so I've asked these guys if they would be available at the back for anybody who wants to go back there and pray. So we've got a couple of ladies. We have Ken and Matt who are elders here. This is my wife, Kelly. This is Nathan's wife, Carrie. This is Andrew. He's one of our staff here. And they're going to be back there and they're going to be spread out over the back four rows. 
And I just encourage you, as we're responding, we're going to sing a couple songs here. You guys can make your way to the back. Thank you, guys. Uh, as, as we sing some songs, as we take communion together, as we respond, this is a great time. It's dark in here, okay? There's freedom here. There's privacy here. Just to go back there, find one of them and say, yeah, will you pray with me? And they will do that. When we bow our heads and pray, we're going to respond as we always do. We're going to sing a couple songs in response to the grace of God. We're going to take communion as we always do. There'll be stations up here at the front. One At the, each station, there'll be a cracker and a wine, wine or juice, whichever you would prefer. Both of those representing the glorious grace of Jesus who laid down his life and poured out his blood for us. A picture of what God wants to do for us. He doesn't want you to crucify yourself anymore. He doesn't want you to crucify whoever has done whatever to you for what they've done. He's saying, give it to me. Be free. Be free. And so when you're ready, you can come forward and take communion. And this morning, there's several people at the back. And listen, some of you have been doing this thing for a long time long time and you're holding on holding on you need to let go you need to let go and this is maybe the moment where the spirit of God wants to invite you to let go so just take a moment and ask the spirit what he would have for you Lord, don't let this moment pass by without gripping our hearts. We have unfinished business to do with you. Make it be so that we can't even get out of our chair without responding. Unless you might be here and you go, oh, I got nothing. I got nothing then here's your prayer. Spirit, show me the brokenness that I can't even see. So Lord, have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name.